Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Clear Eyes, Full Hearts, a podcast presentation of Cadence 13 in association with Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. This is an episode-by-episode look at the award-winning TV show Friday Night Lights, created by Peter Berg. I'm Stacey Oristano. I played Mindy Collette Riggins. And I'm Derek Phillips, and I play Billy Riggins. The assumption is that you, our listeners, have already watched the show. But if you haven't already, go watch Friday Night Lights, which is currently streaming on Netflix and Peacock TV, because there will be spoilers in our podcast. And... We have merch. I can't hit notes like that. I wanted you to try. I wanted you to We've try. got merch. That According to Stacey, and this is correct. So please go check out our brand new website designed by Eleanor Perez, who is at Eleanor Perez on Instagram. Our website is www.cleareyesfullheartspod.com. Once again, that's cleareyesfullheartspod.com. We still want to answer your fan questions, so email us anything you'd like to know at cleareyesfullheartspod at gmail.com today. Season two, episode 13, Humble Pie, written by Carter Harris and directed by Jeffrey Reiner. Our NBC synopsis reads, when charges are pressed against him, Smash must decide if he will swallow his pride and apologize or stand for what he believes is right. And we have an awesome guest with us today, FNL's prop master for all five seasons, Scott Reeder. But before we chat with the master of props himself, let's talk about this episode. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Right off the bat, there was a pretty fun reveal that we were at Garrity Motors. It was like a camera pulled back and I was like, oh, that's where we are. I just yes. think we're at like a random body shop. Oh, and just for our fans out there, Jason Street is bringing his car in that he recently bought off Herc. That's basically a lemon. And they're telling him that, yeah, dude, it's going to cost you like $4,000 to get this car repaired. My favorite part of this scene, though, and it's always Herc, is Herc saying, does that at least come with an orgasm? Oh, zinger. That feels like a Kevin Rankin. It I throw is. In. I love it. Question, though, in this same scene, who won't Buddy give a job to? I feel like literally everyone in Dillon, Texas will work at Buddy Garrity Motors at some point in time. My mom, Matt's dad, Santiago Street. I'm surprised right now that Billy doesn't go there. He needs some money. No, Billy winds up starting his own automotive repair shop. Oh, God, that's true. <laughs> but listen, Buddy doesn't say no. Buddy gives everybody a chance, and I think I appreciate that about him. We give Buddy a lot of grief on this show. All he does is just try to help the impoverished of Dylan on a regular basis. He's a helpful man. I screamed at the TV, oh, my God, Joey, no, stop Joey. But it really, it's Guy Raston, and it's not 
Joey. And we're going to have Scott Reeder on later, prop master extraordinaire. And he's going to talk to us all about breakaway bottles and the breakaway bottles specifically that were used in this scene when Joey smashes that bottle up against Taylor's head. Oh, Joey. Also, oh, smash. I was not prepared for police coming to the Williams house. No. I was ill-prepared. I'm going to be honest with you. This scene pisses me off Mm -hmm. because we had the opportunities, audience members, to see exactly what happened in that movie theater. And so we know that this assault charge is pretty trumped up, to say the least. I can't help but think, Smash, you got to take the misdemeanor charge just so you can get it expunged, basically so you can move on with your life. You don't want this to turn into an assault and battery. You lose your scholarship. Scholarship, yeah. I had a friend that that happened to actually before college. He lost all of it. He would have played for the NFL too. Yeah, because it's a felony versus a misdemeanor. Misdemeanor is yeah. like, you can get a misdemeanor for like playing your music too loud. Felony is something that's going to follow you the rest of your life. Oh, smash. Ugh. And listen, all of that was just star cold open. Like yeah. that was before any of the credits. And already this episode is a lot. It's moving quickly today on Friday Night Lights. It's moving quick. So then I have to say, we've been through such a journey mm-hmm. with Tyra and Landry, he finally told her his truth and like, you don't get to treat me this way. I deserve better. You deserve a better man. And now she's acting jealous. I don't like this look on Tyra. I don't like this jealousy. I love it. Why? I love that she's jealous. I don't think she's earned it. No, but I love that she is because Landry Mm. deserves for her to be jealous. I'm a sick person and I'm like, I hope you're jealous. You should be jealous. Okay, I see what you're saying. Because Landry's a good dude. Landry deserves that. Yeah. I see, okay, I smell what you're cooking. All right, all right. All right. Then we go to Mega Church. Listen, Matt Surgery, he's so good. I love him up there as this like youth pastor. However, could Tim Riggins have picked a worse place to talk about stealing from a meth addict? Worst place or worst time in the middle of a church service? Both. <laughs> it was awkward. Worst place, worst time with maybe the worst person to have the conversation with. Or we could be wrong. Actually, maybe not the worst person because she does wind up bailing the Riggins brothers out in the end. My Garrity family helping everybody. Yeah. Oh, gosh. They're just givers. Okay, so you know that I'm new to this this show, especially this season. I really had no clue what was going on. What is up with this volleyball story? Does it go anywhere? No. It feels very strange to me. Like, we've already established it was hard with Gracie Bell. Coach had to come back home to help with Gracie Bell. They're having trouble, both working jobs. And now he's saying Tammy needs to take on a new job. I know it's only for three weeks, but it's like, I don't understand what's happening here. I think it's a couple of things. And I think Friday Night Lights is kind of guilty of this in the second season. Two things. Number one, I'm assuming like a lot of things in season two, they might've had some plans for this volleyball storyline that Mm -hmm. just kind of got quashed once again because of that writer's strike. But another thing that I think the writers, and this is a bold take from yours truly, I'm not the official voice of Friday Night Lights. I'm just- You're not? An opinion here is- I'm not. But I do think that sometimes the writers were like, you know, we've got this show about football. Every episode can't have football in it. We can't have a football game. But we had murder ball in the first season and maybe we need Mm. some kind of sporting event. So I think they were trying to find other ways to have some kind of competitive thing because I think that originally they thought, well, we need that. That's going to be the audience draw. But by the time the third season comes around, I don't care about that anymore. But they've realized, look, man, what people are watching this show for is the storylines and the draw that the characters have and because we care about the people in it. We don't care about who's winning in volleyball. We don't need a powder puff game. We don't need murder ball. We don't need the football, to be honest with you. The football is the thing that ties everyone together. But I think the writers were kind of like, what do we do? Every week we've got to have some kind of game or some kind of competition. Then I think after a while they were like, you know what? We don't. That's my guess. 
I care so much more about the families and the friends and the people. 100%. And I'm right there with you. I think it was them trying to have some kind of competition. I'm going to call out some things in this episode. Mm -hmm. I have thoughts. However, I do love the relationship between Tammy and Tyra. I like that this builds more of it. When they go into the practice scene and Tyra's finally there, her looking over at Riggins and he's just, this is just Taylor. He's just pulling little pieces of fuzz off of his hoodie. And this is to me why Taylor Kitsch is such comedy gold. And I'm desperate for him to be in like a for real comedy. Yeah, well, Tammy says to Tyra, she's trying to motivate her. And she says to Tyra, find something in your head that drives you crazy, that just bugs you. And then basically hit the ball as hard as you can. And she looks over at Tim, who's just like nonchalantly, picking fuzz off his sweater. This particular moment works on many levels, Mm -hmm. strictly because of Taylor's aloofness and Tyra (laughs) and Annie's just look of like, Taylor. I want to crush his face. And that moment... I'm going to spike a ball in his face. The volleyball stuff is almost worth it just for that moment right there. I'm going to give you that. (laughs) I I thoroughly enjoyed this. Okay, so we're at the Williams house and there's a phone call and it's something... Maybe it's the guys that got hit in the movie theater. I don't know. They're calling and harassing. But I just wanted Smash to star 69 and call them back. And then I'm thinking most of our younger listeners probably don't even know what star 69 is. Yeah, star 67 is what you would use to block your number if you were calling somebody to make a prank call. But star 69 is what you would use to call that number back. Right, whatever number just called you on the landline, if you press star 69, it would call that number right back. So this is before like, even caller ID. Yeah. Listen, all you younger listeners. I remember when caller ID came out, it was like, oh, this is amazing. Oh, I felt so fancy. Like, I can see. We didn't used to be able to screen calls back in the day. Mm-mm. It was terrible. Absolutely terrible. Okay, I have to say, ice cream and mini golf. I was so happy for a moment just to have a nice, normal teenage date on Friday Night Lights. Nobody got murdered. No alcohol. No, just a couple of kids playing golf. They had a kiss. It was sweet. Thank you. Friday Night Lights. I enjoyed it. Thank you. You guys, Jean, who is Landry's new friend in, what are they doing? Chemistry? Physics. Physics. When she's a freshman, by the way, and a freshman could take physics. She's real, real smart. Is played by Bria Grant, who's a very good friend of mine. And here, this just makes me giggle. So she's playing a freshman here on Friday Night Lights. About 10 years after this, she and I would go to do a movie together where we played girls who went to high school together. So we were essentially the same age. And just our industry sometimes makes me giggle. And it's very weird. This is completely and totally unrelated, but I was talking to my grandmother today. I just worked on NCIS Hawaii, and my grandmother goes, they made you look so old on the show. And I go, yeah, no, they they didn't. I just, I'm just old. (laughs) It's just my face. She's like, well, they made you look old. And I'm like, they didn't do anything, Mammy. They didn't do anything. They didn't put any old makeup on me. I just am old. I didn't know I could see you in your mustache yet. Yeah, my mustache made an appearance this past Sunday. Fantastic. So the guys are at Applebee's. This journalist comes rushing in, shoves the camera in Smash's face. I did a bit of studying about this because it just seemed weird. So essentially, this isn't illegal. This journalist, this reporter could do this. However, it is against the ethics that a normal journalist would do because inside of a restaurant is considered private property. And you Mm. would want to get the go-ahead from an owner or a manager before you could do that. Also, Smash is a kid, so... weird to shove a camera in his face, but not illegal, but very ethically, journalistically, not great is all I'm going to say about that. 
Are you ready for my big problem? Go for this it. This is my big ish with this episode. So the guys are at Applebee's. I guess Dylan seems to have one channel. They happen to be watching TV and it's somehow loud enough in the middle of an Applebee's that they can hear this interview. The minute that interview is over, there's a cameraman in Smash's face asking him questions. We smash cut to coach's office, coach is watching that exact interview the minute it happens. And it's just like, stop. It doesn't work and I need it to stop. I don't buy it. I don't like okay. it. Here's my argument for why this does work. Okay. Number one, they say, smash, 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 you're on TV. So I assume at that point, everyone just kind of quiets down. They watch the TV. And it yeah, in Dillon, Texas. Yes. I'll give you. Okay, I'll give. I'll give. Yeah. It's a little ludicrous that then the reporter just shows up out of nowhere. Oh, he's right there. Just immediately right there. But that's the gotcha journalism that's made Dillon, Texas famous, Stacy. Mm-hmm. That and its amazing subway system that transports these kids all over town late at night. Don't worry about it. Suspension of disbelief. On your third point, mm-hmm. we don't know that Coach was actually watching this live. It could be that one of the coaches was like, did you hear what Smash did? Put it on. I hear you, except that it was a smash cut really fast, which made it seem I like hear, it was I hear you. And- I also, this is going to be really weird. I'm going to have to backtrack about my other-ish with the episode. Mm-hmm. That we've already, just in this season alone, we found a kid who had never played football before, and all of a sudden he's a football phenom. And now we're saying Tyra has never played volleyball before, but now she's a volleyball phenom. And that happens twice in the same year at the same school. Just, I'm having some issues with this episode. I get where you're coming from on that level, but if this was a show about college sports, I'd say that's absurd. But the reality is when it comes to high school sports, especially a sport like football, where look, football is a game of skill. It doesn't matter how much I know about football, how much I played football. I'm five foot seven. I weighed 120 pounds when I was in high school. It doesn't matter how much I played or how much I knew. The guy who was six foot two, weighed 220 pounds was going to be better than me, period. He was faster. He was stronger. And that's what matters in football. It doesn't matter that Santiago's never played football. That's why I'll buy that one story. But you're going to make me buy that story twice in the same school in the same year. I don't buy it. I would buy that a girl who's five foot 11 would be a good spiker on a volleyball team. I would not at a school like that. I went to volleyball camp from the time I was in sixth grade and I still wasn't that good. Volleyball takes some training. That's all I'm saying. I just, I have I hear you. I don't think it's as crazy as you think it is. Like we had a guy that I went to high school with who'd never run hurdles. And one of our coaches was like, I think you should run hurdles. And the guy was awkward and weird and his form was terrible. But at the same time, he was like six foot three and Mm. he was flexible. And all of a sudden the guy's competing in state with the worst form you've ever seen in your life. That stuff happens. I hear you. I think it's just growing up in Texas too. From the minute you're in like I would say first or second grade, it's decided for you what sport you're playing and you play that sport for the rest of your life. That's how all of us grew up. I mean, my nephew plays baseball right now and like he's nine years old. He's got batting coaches. He's got fielding coaches. He goes Mm -hmm. to practice every single day. It's not like it was either when I was a kid where like that kind of stuff kind of could happen. You've been honed in as a baseball player or as a football player playing that sport since you were nine years old. Yeah. I don't think it's something you can just jump into now. Maybe. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know, Stace. I feel a little bit like we've traded places this episode and I'm the naysayer and you're all optimistic and I feel really weird. I'm just a beacon of light. Always have been. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. I do kind of love that Herc seems to be a fan of Death of a Salesman because he says to Jason Street, you're like Willie Loman. Willie Loman is from the play Death of a Salesman written by Arthur Miller, which is actually really interesting. Carter Harris is the writer on this episode. There was another line in this episode that Carter Harris wrote when Billy goes and meets with Guy Raston and he says, you've already gotten your pound of flesh, which is a direct quote from Merchant of Venice. <gasps> oh! 
Pound of Flesh is a quote from Merchant of Venice. I mm-hmm. don't know that Billy Riggins would know the phrase Pound of Flesh. I agree. And we wound up cutting that line because of it. But yes, it, it appears that Carter Harris is a theater nerd. Carter is a classical <laughs> theater fan. D, did I hear you give a shout out to Chris Moreno? I did, actually. In this episode, right before Lila walks in, I gave a shout out to a couple of my buddies from high school. Yeah, Chris Moreno, Brucey, and I think I said Lumdog as well. Yeah. You did. Because I remember shooting that scene. We were just trying to find something to improv at the start of the scene before Lila comes in. I thought it was pretty ridiculous that Billy Riggins would start talking about stocks and the stock. Yeah, market. that's how he's going to make his money now. Yeah. And that other people are doing it. I mean, we could do it. Lumdog's doing it. Brucey's doing <laughs> it. Moreno's doing it. And Kitsch responded by going, I don't know any of those people. And I said, <laughs> you know all those people. They cut all that. But yeah, Kitsch. It What's the first funny. rule of improv? Yes, and. Thank you. <laughs> Kitch. I, just nope. say, I think this is maybe the third or fourth time we've talked about Chris Moreno on the podcast. I hope he's listening. <laughs> Better be. Ask us a question, Chris. Send us an email. I know my buddy Robbie Bruce, who is Brucey, is listening. <laughs> At this volleyball game, we pan up and see Coach and Julie in the stands. And I have to tell you, Julie has as much enthusiasm for this volleyball storyline as I do. Oh my God, we get it. You don't like the volleyball storyline. She was not excited. (laughs) I was like, no, I feel you, Julie. I absolutely, I'm there with you. But then you and Joey on screen together just made my heart really happy. You mean the part where he pulls a gun on me? Yes, listen, it was scary, but it's like two people I love and we've been friends for so long and you guys are like going at it. It was good. Thank you. It was really, really fun and just a really beautiful moment, even in that ridiculous scene where, you know, we get in a fight and he pulls a gun on me. You guys got to understand that I had known Joey at this point in time, I guess at least 11 years, 12 years, because we went to college together. We did plays together in college. We lived together in New York, you know, struggled as actors for years and years and years, waiting tables and bartending. And then to have this opportunity as two good friends that went to college together to have a scene on a national television show. It was just kind of insane. And I'm always going to appreciate that moment and be so thankful for that moment. And then to have Kitch there, who became one of our closest friends as well, it was just a pretty beautiful moment. Loved it. Also, we didn't talk any about it, but Liz Michael is in this episode a lot, Mama Smash. And Derek and I were just with her Saturday night, like only, what, five nights ago. Yeah. I'm just going to say, I love Liz Michael. I'm going to probably say it every episode. She's so good in everything she does. I love her with all my heart. Another fun thing about that scene with Joey and I, too, is that so Joey chases us out, Guy Raston chases us out with a gun. Kitchen and I used to argue every single time we shot a scene with a truck, whether or not Billy would drive the truck Mm -hmm. or Tim would drive the truck. And my argument was always, Billy's the older brother. Billy would drive the truck. Billy probably paid for the truck. Billy gets to drive the truck. We had arguments about it pretty much any time you ever see us in the truck. Like brothers do. And we would start to switch off and on. So in this particular one, he gets in the truck and he peels out and he hits that curb so hard. My head was like hitting the roof of the car and he was just giggling, laughing like a little (laughs) schoolgirl because it just cracked him up so much to see Mm -hmm. me bouncing in the truck. Like I was literally bouncing around like a ragdoll. That makes sense. In that same truck, there would be scenes later where it was the three of us and I always had to sit in the middle. And he always made me put my legs a certain way because it was a stick shift. And he made me put my legs a certain way because he liked to ram it into second gear and hit my knee really hard with the stick shift. And it made him giggle every single time. That's my idiot brother. Yep. Agreed. 
So guys, that is it for the rewatch portion of the show, but stick around because we have got prop master extraordinaire, Scott Reader coming on. So as I said, stick around. We are thrilled to have TikTok celebrity and super prop master Scott Reader on the show with us today. Scott was the prop master on Friday Night Lights for all five seasons and has worked on numerous films and TV shows, including Necessary Roughness, Saving Jane Lynch, Walker, Texas Ranger, Fast Food Nation, How to Eat Fried Worms, Grind House, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Friday the 13th, Parenthood, Machete, My Generation, Mud, Pitch Perfect, Promised Land, The Lying Game, My All-American, mm-hmm. Parkland, Revolution, American Crime, The Leftovers, the Sun, Panic, and currently the new Walker, Texas Ranger, which is just called Walker. So brother, thank you so much for coming on the show with us today. We're pumped to have you. First and foremost, I know what a prop master is, but I don't know that our whole entire audience out there knows exactly what a prop master is. So would you mind telling us? A prop master is responsible for anything touched or held that's on camera. And there are some gray line areas here and there, like between wardrobe and props, like we'll pay for the sunglasses, but the costume designer often wants to pick them out or we'll bring a hundred pairs of sunglasses for the costume designer to match with the wardrobe and that sort of thing. And we do food scenes, we do shootouts. If it's a bar scene, we'll do the breakaway beer bottles for a fight. If it's just drinking, we'll do the non-alcoholic beer. Back in the Friday Night Lights days, we probably went heavy with tea and apple juice in a bar scene. But now we're using just like a drop of caramel coloring because to where it's just straight up water and the actors have tended to like that lately. And, uh, you know, that sort of thing we do. I could keep rattling forever. When I was starting out, I was like, is this a prop? You know, because you sit there and like when I got married on Friday Night Lights, I don't really play with my wedding ring, but it's true. But my wedding ring is a prop. My state championship ring is a prop. My watch is a prop. And every day that I would show up to set, props would come over and they'd be like, here's your wedding ring. Here's your ring. Here's your watch. Billy always wore a watch. Don't know why I chose that. Like Billy's punctual, like he needs a watch. But yeah, you guys are in control of a lot of that different stuff. But that was going to be my second question is what category, I mean, what exactly falls under the category prop? And we just discussed like food, Mm -hmm. all the food that Kyle Chandler ate on that show constantly. Kyle actually got complaints at one point because he loved to cook bacon. He would get in there a little early and he'd throw in a bunch of bacon and it really did stink up the house. I personally love bacon. But there are a few people on the crew that weren't as fond of bacon. And finally, like a year and a half into it, once they felt more comfortable, I guess some people felt comfortable enough to voice a complaint. I think he just did it anyway. Yeah, I remember scenes where he was actually making bacon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It all started there. And then he just kept in. He would do it when we weren't rolling. Seriously. Yeah. I mean, he, yeah, that was his thing. He loved to Well, Stacy and I have discussed on the show. I mean, the term snacking has come up numerous mm-hmm. times. It's when an actor is eating and, and acting at the same time. And there seems to be a lot of that. Kyle Chandler is kind of the king of it. Kyle uh, and Jesse are the biggest yeah. snackers that we have. <laughs> so I know the answer to this in theater. And I'm wondering if it's the same. I should know this and I don't. I feel bad. The difference between something that would be a, like a set dressing or a set piece and a prop. Is it if it's it is used practically or held that makes it a prop. Mm-hmm. So if it's a painting on the wall, the set decorator and the production designer will get together and pick the perfect painting for the wall. I guess technically, if someone grabs the painting and smacks somebody over the head with it, then I will have to 
replicate that painting, give them special effects, and we'll score it to where it won't hurt the actor and it'll, you know, or be a special thin paper and we'll pop right over the person's head. Or if it's just someone moves it, takes it off the wall, then it's technically a prop, but the set decorator will still pick it out and put it on the wall. But yes, our guys would look after it while it's being held by the actor. God, you work so closely with so many different departments. And like, I would think especially stunt department too. Stunt, special effects, costumes. Yeah, every, of, um... everybody. Yeah, so we meet with the director. I'll go to the concept meeting and hear the first read through of it with the assistant director. And then I'll have like the next day, I'm doing Walker currently, the reboot of Walker. And it's fast. We do like six and seven day episodes, not as fast as Friday Night Lights, which <laughs> got to be where it was like five day episodes. But we'll do a concept meeting and the next day I'll have a director prop meeting where it's just the assistant director, director and I and the production designer. And I'll have gone through the script and I'll have made a big prop list, scene by scene, go through everything with the director and and kind of hone in what they want. Then we'll have a tech scout and say we're going to film in a restaurant. I'll work a deal with the owner of the restaurant to use their food. Or if they're closed that day, I'll hire a chef to come in and handle the food. Then the day before filming, like today, I had a big show and tell. So we lay everything out. We hit all the big important things and make sure they've signed off on it. And it really works. I love the show and tell system because we went so fast on Friday Night Lights, we weren't able to do that. But now the director can touch everything, make sure it's the right size uh, other than pictures, because pictures, you can't really tell the size. So there's no surprises. And, you know, it's a well-oiled machine. We're in season two, Friday Night Lights. You know, you get about two years in, you get your rhythm and your family. How'd you get on Friday Night Lights? How did that happen? Well, I didn't do the feature. I have a prop shop here in town and I rented props to Doug Fox, who prop mastered the feature, Peter directing. I moved to Austin I guess a couple of years before. And I guess my name got out there and a producer found my name and that was Nan Bernstein. And I interviewed for the job and got it. It was kind of that simple. I was the one person on the crew that had done the original Walker Texas Ranger and all through the 90s, like right after I graduated college, I was the buyer assistant prop master and I did 196 episodes of it. I knew how you could become a family because I loved those guys. And in Austin, they had only done features, a lot of indie films. You know, it was a lot of indies and or like a lot of people had come off right off the Alamo. So they didn't understand that yeah, you're not working as long of hours, but you get to go home to your family. You get, you know, you're going to have maybe a little bit of daylight when you pull in the driveway. And there's so much to be said for that. And it's a regular paycheck. And all said and done, you could add a couple of years to your life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, some people were in the feature mindset of make bank, make bank, make bank quickly, quickly, quickly working those 16 hour days and then taking three months off and going to Hawaii. It's all a matter of what you're wanting. And by the beginning of the third season, this is my opinion, the, what we had called film gypsies had kind of gone on to other features and stuff like that. And the crew became people that really liked those shorter days or a lot of them had family and liked what FNL had to offer as far as a regular gig where you still have time, some personal life at the end of the day. You know? Yeah. I mean, 
but Friday Night Lights is one of those rare shows. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, we talked to Nan Bernstein about this. I think there was something like an 85% retention rate on mm-hmm. Friday Night Lights. So year after year, that means 85% or more of our crew came back, which is kind of unheard of just because of the fact that people get other jobs, people wind up working on other productions. But the fact that people were actually avoiding getting other jobs just to come back and work on Friday Night Lights is kind of a rarity in this business. Oh, yeah. Oh, I had to burn a bridge after season three. I think I went off and did the Parenthood pilot with Nan in San Francisco. And I was supposed to come back and immediately start Machete. And I did, but they kept pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. That was the Robert Rodriguez film. So it meant... I either had to stay on Machete and miss out on season four of Friday Night Lights or arrange it to leave Machete early. And I did because I couldn't, there was no way I wasn't coming back Friday Night Lights. So I worked it out where I could leave Machete early, but you know, no one likes leaving a show in in the middle. We're so used to you too. It would be so different if somebody was there and like everything wouldn't work the same. (laughs) It would be messy. What was the strangest prop you had to make on Friday Night Lights? Oh my gosh. That's a (laughs) tough question. You know, I guess the first thing that comes to mind is having to make fake puke when the football players are having to run gassers at night. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then pouring down And then you got headlights lighting the scene. It was cool. And then they had to all puke. What were your ingredients? Yeah, what was it? At that time, I was using vanilla Slim Fast (laughs) and like breadcrumbs that had been soaking in it so they're good and squishy so it gave you some texture. You've obviously honed your puke making skills since then. Well, my assistant prop masters on this one are like, no, Scott, you got to use aloe vera juice and I don't know, there's this they've got their own recipe and I just let them do their thing. Oh, God. Uh, Like, ensure and aloe vera juice. I just have this visual of you guys sitting around in some fancy restaurant swirling a very expensive glass of wine as you talk about the finer points of puke. (laughs) I did one of the most well-known puke scenes was in the opening of Pitch Perfect. Yeah. Now, I can't get credit for the actual propulsion. The effects guys built this rig. It was amazing. But we used V8 Splash and, oh, what was it? I can't now. Oh, uh, and applesauce. V8 Splash and applesauce. I had food poisoning like two days ago, so I feel like I'm kind of an aficionado on puke at this point. You're an expert right now. I've used baby food before when I've had to do it. Oh, yeah. It's not fun. deep in season two. So we have that meth lab going right now. Did you have any hand in making that? Yes, we had to do the Sudafed. We had to make a generic Sudafed packaging. I'm telling you, I got on a watch list because the only people that bought that much Sudafed were (gasps) people making meth. So yeah, I got a lot of strange looks. That's something that people don't really think about is that all the beer labels, all that stuff has to be generic on TV, right? It does unless there's a product integration deal. Like on this show, we've had an integration deal with Lay's, potato chips, or Mm -hmm. a few other things. Uh, Friday Night Lights, we had a deal with Under Armour. And Gatorade. But like when the Riggins brothers were drinking a beer, it was never like a Budweiser or a Bud Light. Mm -hmm. It was always some... Texas something. Generic. 
Well, especially because they're underage. Now, like HBO doesn't really care as much about that. Their main thing is if I had an actor that was driving and drinking, it had to be a fake label. But yeah, I never could figure the HBO lawyers out. It was like, then I've got a scene on The Leftovers. Great show, by the way, if you haven't seen it. Yes, 100%. Love love it. I did season two which I'm partial to because I worked on it, but it brought a little bit of levity because season one was so depressing. Anyway, I'm off on a tangent. <laughs> we'll talk about uh, leftovers. We had uh, Margaret Qualley. She was in the Tarantino movie. Her character was 16 years old and she had to guzzle a bottle of wild turkey. And I asked the lawyers, well, I'm assuming you want me to use a fake label on this, but they had it scripted wild turkey. And they're like, well, do you have a product placement deal with that company? I was like, no. Oh, use wild turkey then. Of course it was fake alcohol, but it was their label. For whatever reason, Kyle <laughs> thought that I loved wild turkey. And anytime we would go out drinking, he'd start going gobble, gobble. And I was like, eh. like no. I remember that. I remember no. him saying gobble, gobble. He would always say gobble, gobble. And then I'd have to do a shot of wild turkey. And mm-hmm. I think it was like, I mean, literally the fifth season of the show. And he goes, gobble, gobble. And I go, Kyle, I hate wild turkey, man. I don't like drinking it. And he goes, why didn't you tell me? Yeah, you could have said years, that from day one. Five years of torture. And I was too nice. afraid that he would think I was a wimp or something. Yeah. Riggins gets a bottle broken over his head by meth dealer Guy Raston in this episode. Can you explain the process of making a breakaway bottle? Because they look so real. It's like a candy yeah. glass, right? It's actually a resin. They don't make them out of candy anymore. It's been like okay. 60 years since they have a guy at Universal figured out a way. It's a resin. See, uh, with a candy glass, with sugar glass, sugar, it gets yeah. sticky. It turns yellow like after a few days. You know, you'll see these chefs on TikToks and Instagram making these cool, like clear glass looking things, but they do not stay clear that long. They start turning yellow. They attract ants. I hate them as far as candy glass. So we use it. It's a resin. You can actually chew on it. You just can't swallow it. You don't want to eat it, but it's super brittle. There was a scene in the first season of the show where, well, in the scene, Billy's supposed to throw a bottle up against the wall. And Jeffrey Reiner goes, what if we just get rid of the bottle? And he said to you guys and props, he's like, can we line the bottles up on the counter? And he's like, how many breakaways do you have? And I think we had like 15 breakaways on the day. And mm-hmm. he gave me a golf club and I wound up swinging at the bottles instead of just throwing one bottle up against the wall. And we wound up breaking like 10 bottles on mm-hmm. one swing. But yeah, I mean, I'd never worked with that stuff before. You know, I was a pretty young actor at that point in time. So I was a little freaked out by it. But then of course, after it's over with, you walk over, you put your finger on it and it cracks and it breaks mm-hmm. and you put it in your mouth. It's, it's super safe. It. The only thing is you want to bust it on the back of someone's head, right in the eyes. You got to make sure the actor has their eyes closed because that those particles can get in your eye and scratch. Yeah, I remember specifically in that scene that we were talking about where Guy Raston, the meth dealer, hits Tim over the head with one of those bottles. It was my buddy Joey. And Joey was scared to death to have to do it because he's like number 40 on the call sheet and he's about to bust a bottle on number three on the call sheet in, mm-hmm. in Taylor Kitsch. He was nervous about it. And I remember you guys fill the bottles up with a little bit of water so that when you break the bottle or probably, as you said before, water and caramel, I'm assuming, so that it's got some color in it. And yeah. then when you break the bottle with the liquid in it, it still has a little bit of weight to it. And Joey, you guys had told him, hit him in the back of the head and Joey hit him in the side of the head. And also I think kind of made contact with his hand on Kitsch's face. Oh, wow. It was just a mess all the way around. Poor Kitsch mm-hmm. was like, what are you doing? I think yeah. it was season two. Taylor had to throw a pool ball at somebody. You remember yes. this? That was season one, actually. Season one, yeah. yeah. So we had painted racquetballs for that, right? But there were still, you know, racquetballs still hurt if it gets hit in yeah, the head. Yeah. So I also got those, you know, like at McDonald's, they have the ball pits. Oh, yeah. Those were perfect. I mean, as far as they won't hurt you when they hit you. I'm watching the monitor and it curves. It's like a curve. Uh, It catches some air. 
They're so light. They, but yeah, those work well. My first video to go viral was talking about silent pool balls. Originally, I would use those for stunts for an actor, like in Necessary Roughness, we had an actor get thrown onto a pool table and they landed on the racquetballs and, you know, much safer. And that's where I carried over and used them on Friday Night Lights. And then I realized, hey, these aren't making any noise. Yeah. <laughs> So I started bringing them out for where you'd have a bar scene and that way your your BG can play all they want. You're not hearing the smack of the pool balls. That's a great idea. Yeah, that video took off that I did about a year and a half ago and it got like 12 million views. I wasn't joking at the top of this. You are an internet sensation right now with millions of followers on TikTok. And I mean, I've watched your TikTok videos. They're hysterical and also informative. Mm -hmm. As a guy who loves this business, me personally, I love all the behind the scenes stuff. And that's why we're excited to have you on the show as well. What would you say the craziest prop you've ever had to make on any project was? Hey, Matt, what's the craziest thing we've had to make? <laughs> Salt the office. It's all good. Tomorrow we've got an actor we have to have a lit lantern uh -huh. and it's got to smack someone on the head and break and you got to see the light in it right they just pulled the schedule up on us so we didn't have time to mold a rubber lantern or anything like that so my guys have been like hand carving out of foam lanterns and that's what he's doing oh my gosh that's a difficult one but you know matt's the one staying late so how did your instagram following your tiktok following how did that start i mean you, you told us about the pool balls during the pandemic because of course the whole film business shut down like march 13th yeah. mm -hmm. 2020 and my daughter was becoming addicted to TikTok. And then she showed it to me and I, of course, started scrolling and like, well, that's kind of cool. And I saw somebody attempting to tell dad jokes. And I thought, well, I can do that. So I download the app. So I guess by May, so it's been almost two years this week when I posted my first video. I started out doing dad jokes and that's what I did pretty much that summer of 2020. And then when I got back to work, somebody mentioned, why don't you do something like incorporate props into it? I built a decent following just with the jokes. I think I had like 100,000 followers just on dad wow. joke alone. And then I did like the breakaway beer bottle. I busted it against my head. And then I did a rubber frying pan or I showed some rubber props, like a rubber pipe. Then I like banged the frying pan on my head. And I said, but if you add some Foley and some bad acting, then it's convincing. So I yeah, added yeah. Foley. I like beat a pot with a stick or something afterwards in voiceover mode. Then I got like a lot of views with that. And I was like, okay, well maybe I realized what we do gets monotonous or we think it's boring, but people really think it's interesting. And so when I stepped back and thought, you know, people don't know that we do all these things. They just took off, you know, and then once I did the silent pool balls, of course, I ended it with a ball sack joke. That would be my luck that I go viral on a ball sack joke. <laughs> I mean, I just wonder if there's like a WhatsApp group chat of like prop masters and if somebody's struggling with something and then everybody helps in and they give you ideas, but now they can just go to your TikTok and like <laughs> ideas. Well, no, there is the closed Facebook group that we have that we'll go on and ask when we need help and hey, have you ever done this before? Or if we, I've got a character swallowing a goldfish or whatever, how do you do mm -hmm, it? Yeah, sure. And then you'll hear some interesting things. I don't think Sorry. people understand uh, when you're on a film set, like if you have to pull a knife on someone, a lot of times the knife is rubber or the gun is rubber or things like that, especially if you're having to stab at somebody, you're not using a real knife, but it's happening so fast and it's moving so quickly that you as an audience can't see it. There's also retractable knives. There's all kinds of crazy Or it's stuff. real and then you put it behind your back and the prop master switches it and then it's a rubber one and you go, I just did that one on my show. 
Okay, before we go, though, I have a dad joke for you, Scott. Are you ready? I am. What kind of shoes do ninjas wear? What? Sneakers. Oh, that's a good one. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I imagine Scott's going to incorporate that on his TikTok (laughs) at some point in time. (laughs) Does the audience know the connection that the three of us have? Oh, you were our... Yes, we got to talk about that as well. That's right. Does Stacy know? I don't know if Stacy remembers this, but Scott was the pastor who married... I married you. And I've got a funny story because Derek was just plain mean. Camera's on me, and he recites his vows as Mel Gibson and freaking Braveheart. Do you remember that? Yes. And hey, I'm not an actor. It's like, and you knew this. I did keep a straight face. The focus of that scene was on Kyle and Connie, so they ended up really not using me that much, except for like the season three DVD special features. They show the whole scene. So your Braveheart performance is in there. Yeah, and I said, I love you. Always have. Loved you. And then, <laughs> and then you turned to kids. And I said, Braveheart. Braveheart. It was like fist bumped or something like that. Aren't you ordained too in real? Am I crazy? Were you not? Okay, somebody told uh, me that you were and I was like, wait, are Derek and I actually So Scott, what was your now? improv? I should have went along with that and say, y'all are actually married. I should have told you. <laughs> oh, good. No. <laughs> so what was your improv? After I said, I love you, I always have. No, I just kept on with the ceremony, you know. That's what you're supposed to do. Then, okay, now, Mindy, tell me your vows. Yeah, you nailed it. We had a lot of props representation at the Riggins wedding. And locations. Jonathan Schaefer, the Mm -hmm. on-set props, he was one of the ones with the two locations guys singing Baby, I Love Your Way. Yes. Rick was on the guitar. He was the craft service guy. It was like cast the crew productions. I mean, the locations manager was in season two and played one of the dads. He had a pretty big scene. I bet 75% of us of the crew had speaking. Jonathan, who was also in props was like one of my best men or something like that. Or one of my grooms. That's true. He actually got a name on the show. I think it was Talon or something. (laughs) Something ridiculous. Talon. That's Raven or Talon or I I can't remember. We'll get to that in season four. But yeah, I just remember on set, we all used to call him Talon after that, if I'm not mistaken. (laughs) So in season two, have y'all already gotten past the whole Jesse Plemons rape thing? Okay. Yeah. I've just got to say, I know y'all already gotten through that, but if you see a photo of an actor, like say the the rapist dies, and then you see a photo of that actor, they have to get paid. So they wanted to see crime scene photos, but they didn't want to put the guy on payroll to do it. So they dressed me up because I looked most like I think Jeff Reiner came up to me and said, yeah, it's got to be you. You you do the photos. So I was the model in all the crime scene photos for the- Like in the truck? Yeah, wherever you see the crime scene photos. I don't know. I haven't watched it. Oh, no. Yeah, it would be when you got hit with the pipe and then just in that like- I remember having to go to a riverbed and they like covered me in mud and I was laying face down when the cops found the body. You're all over Friday Night Lights. Mm -hmm. I was also sleazy neighbor number two when y'all were mowing grass. I still get residual checks on that. I was like cheering y'all on or something. That's this episode and it got cut. Oh, did it? I remember I was sitting on a tailgate or something. Yeah, I still have in my prop shop a stack of like the magnetic signs that go on trucks. And I have the Mindy's lawn care sign there. I've got it. I've got it. Oh, I love it. Well, guess what? I still have the St. Pauli girl. Oh. 
does in his closet. It's the one thing. When we wrapped Friday Night Lights, Nan Bernstein said, is there anything you want? And I said, I want the St. Pauli girl. And I took her home. I actually brought a girl back to my place one night. This was years ago, probably 15 years ago. I brought a girl home. I had my spare bedroom. At the time, there was nothing in the spare bedroom. It was empty. I had had a friend come into town and I occasionally put myself on tape for auditions in there. So I had a tripod set up with an air mattress because I had a friend that was recently in town. Oh, no, this the is St. Pauli girl in the corner. And this girl walked into my apartment and goes, what is that? What do you do in this room? And I'm like, don't worry about it. Oh, Derek, <laughs> that's so creepy. Um, <laughs> but anyway, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, buddy. It was fun. That is it for season two, episode 13. And you can find Scott Reader on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube as Scott Prop and Roll. Join us next time for episode 14 with another special guest, FNL's producer, Nan Bernstein. But until then, clear eyes. Full hearts. Can't lose. Clear Eyes, Full Hearts is a podcast presentation of Cadence 13 in association with Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. Executive producers are Stacey Oristano and Derek Phillips, Chris and Mandy Wimmer for Black Barrel Media, and Steve Walters for Ritual Productions. Our producer is Miranda Parham. Send your questions to clearEyesFullHeartsPod at gmail.com. Find us on social media. I'm Stacey Oristano on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm at Derek Phillips on Twitter and underscore Derek Phillips on Instagram. And check out our websites, ClearEyesFullHeartsPod.com, Cadence13.com, and BlackBarrelMedia.com. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next week.